From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. Welcome everybody to LPL Research Market Signals podcast. My name is Mark Zabicki, Chief Investment Officer at uh, LPL Financial. Joining me today uh, is Quincy Crosby, Chief Global Strategist of LPL Financial. Quincy, how are you today? Doing well, thank you. Thanks very much. Good, and I'm I'm excited to have you because we are going to get into a conversation about China. We're going to get a conversation about the dollar, what central bankers need to do about the dollar, about um, about uh, market interest rates, et cetera, et cetera. So, looking forward to your comments uh, on that. So, a lot of big moving parts going on simultaneously. On top of that, we've got earnings to talk about a little bit in terms of your expectations for some key earnings reports coming up and what that may mean for sniffing out the next perhaps direction in the in the equity and capital markets in general. Is that fair? That is super fair. Yeah. Okay. Um, important disclosures for everyone. And just to let you know, if I haven't already said it, um, we are recording this on Tuesday, October 25th. So recording this on Tuesday, October 25th. Let me just start by opening up with what's happened over the last week. Um, We are actually getting a little bit of a technical reprieve uh, in U.S. equity markets, not so much in other areas of of, uh, the globe in terms of equity market performance, but we're seeing some semblance of a technical bounce um, in equity markets in in the U.S., some equity sectors that have, have performed rather well, energy is notably higher, technology is notably higher. Um, actually, across the board, strengths in, in many areas other than real estate and, and utilities. Um, Quincy, as you think about the last week in, in equity markets, any, any key takeaways uh, for the audience as to how things may be shaping up? Well, absolutely. I mean, the market was, was music to the market's ears on Friday, the Wall Street Journal um, story regarding the November 2nd meeting of the Fed, which is just around the corner, and that they will be discussing not this the November rate hike, which the market expects to be 75 basis points, but what they're going to do in December and whether they're going to de-escalate the the aggressive campaign perhaps you know will soften the, the rhetoric and then perhaps for december uh, go to 50 basis points and then uh, perhaps another 50 but 25 in other words the terminal rate perhaps ending uh, just under five percent or five percent this is been music to the market's ears and and the market just rejoiced on Friday, uh, and we know it was technical. Uh, you mentioned that because it wasn't it wasn't led by a stock doing very well, a company doing very well, because it was across the board the same amount uh, of, of of the market going higher. It was it was almost like the algorithms coming in and just pushing everything up with the same amount. That is technical, and it was predicated on that that story. So the question now is, does that story portend that the Fed, and is the market sniffing out, that the Fed may be beginning to, after this November 2nd meeting, beginning to transition, and that's the word we've been using at LPL Research, not pivot, but transition to a softer pace, a less hawkish pace, and that's the best way 
to, um, to package it. Certainly 50 basis points is not dovish. It's just less hawkish. Yeah, and then we've talked a lot about that, obviously, in the Strategic and Tactical Asset Allocation Committee at LPL Research. Yes. I mean, you know, we we talk about the Federal Reserve inflation and interest rates every session on a Monday, uh, it seems. Uh, and, and so it's it's actually good to see the market begin to to look ahead over the next six months or, or, or 12 months or so. And, and trying to figure out what 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 are we actually going to look like when the Federal Reserve either slows down or stops. So those are those are those are great points. Not as much fun in bond markets, and and we're going to touch on this, Quincy, in terms of um, what's going on with Treasury yields and what central bankers may need to do there. Mm -hmm. But uh, the the shining point last in the last week of of the bond market really is high yield as we see some risky assets get more attention over the last week or so. High yield has been one of those, not grand attention because it's just flat, um, but certainly better than other areas of the of the bond market that are still under pressure with a with the illiquidity in the treasury market and, and some volatile action across of the bond complex. On the commodity side, um, a weak area. Clearly, I think you know if we look at commodities broadly, we've peaked earlier in this year. We may be trending lower. Obviously, the direction of the economy is is problematic in that. What or may what may or may not be happening in China is probably problematic for this for this area of the market as well. So we'll get into a little bit more about China as we move on um, with this market signals podcast. So. Um, Last week, Quincy, I mean, you touched a little bit on this um, in terms of Federal Reserve commentary, but we are seeing um, some cooling in the economy, um, and, and and I'm going to guess it's, it's probably good news. Bad news is good news in this case. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the beige book came out, and it, it you know, and by the way, you know, it sounds so boring, beige book, because it used to be beige, but it happens to be up fairly up to date, con considering, you know, that most data releases are looking back a whole month. Uh, and it's anecdotal, but the point is across the U.S., it looks as if the economy is slowing, it's cooling, but it is not cratering. And that's good news. Yeah, uh, and, and we mentioned uh, um, a technical bounce uh, for equities. You touched on, you know, what what the market may be kind of sniffing out in terms of future Fed policy. We still have an illiquidity problem in the Treasury market, and we'll touch on that a little bit later as to what central bankers or other policymakers do on that. We'll also get into, um, you know, the dollar strengths as well in the, on this call. Um, it, which is contributing, I should say, to some some market uh, uh, unease. Obviously, the the China Communist Party Congress last week was was all in the news and what went on there. Again, we'll touch on that, uh, and then also uh, corporate earnings. So, so quite a bit to digest last week um, in terms of market activity. Uh, if we look ahead for this week, we have started off the week in, in U.S. economics around the, the S&P Global PMI composite services and manufacturing, all numbers which have come in less than expected yesterday, which again is Quincy, part of that cooling aspect of the economy, which 
feeds into that, you know, kind of semi bad news, perhaps is good news in terms of Federal Reserve um, expectations. Um, new home sales coming up, initial claims as always on a Thursday, uh, PCE deflator, uh, and then Michigan sentiment, you know, if the, to, to close the week out, you know, turning new Quincy, anything here that you have your eye on in terms of a, of a key barometer for folks to watch? Absolutely. It is the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. This, this, this is what the Fed looks at. Yes, they watch the Consumer Price Index, but this is their favorite one. Typically, the numbers are cooler than the counterpart in the Consumer Price Index. But remember, if this surprises, how shall I say, to the upside and is hotter than the, mark, than the Fed expected, that's going to be difficult for the market and difficult for the Fed because remember the, the market is sniffing out that perhaps the Fed gets less hawkish. Similarly, the University of Michigan, what we don't wanna see is the um, consumer's view of inflation climbing higher. You want to see that lower. If that climbs higher, that is something that the Fed uh, will have to address somehow and the way they do it is, being more hawkish. You may remember that what pushed the Fed to 75 basis points from 50 basis points during a blackout period, by the way, happened to be the PCE followed by the University of Michigan survey and the consumer uh, view of inflation. The Fed sent out a message right away during the blackout period, again, to the Wall Street Journal, and then it wound up all over the uh, business news that by the way, they would probably be moving from 50 basis points, which is what we all thought, to 75 basis points. So let's hope that these numbers do not underpin a more hawkish Fed, but rather help the Fed begin to see that inflation is in fact easing. In fact, by the way, you mentioned the um, S&P Global PMI report. One of the things in that manufacturing report indicated that the prices, the input prices towards manufacturing were coming down, not climbing higher, but were coming down. This is the kind of thing we're looking for. This is the kind of thing that the Fed is looking for. So in many ways, that was actually good news. Yeah, no, right, uh, Quincy. As a matter of fact, we've, we've spent the last couple editions of this Market Signals podcast talking about some input prices that are indeed coming down uh, and how the CPI and PCE would lag that a little bit. Um, so yes. that really has driven our conversation around inflation and, and the expectation that that it is going to begin to tail off here, not only through 2022, but also into 2023. So that's a that's a really good point. If, if we look um, also at PMI activity across the globe in the Eurozone, Germany and the UK, again, numbers that are less than expected, that cooling scenario in terms of what central bankers would like to see. Um, so, so PMIs are probably the biggest numbers across you know non-US you know economic calendars. You know, this week we are getting yeah. the CPI numbers in in Germany and France later in the week. Anything catching your eye here, uh, Quincy, in terms of things to pay attention to? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the uh, European Central Bank is going to meet and, you know, they've got inflation climbing higher uh, and they but they also have 
export demand weakening for Germany, for example, the largest uh, economy in the um, Eurozone, and also the one uh, that is faced with an energy crisis this winter. So it, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the European Central Bank, and this has to do with the dollars, I know we're going to talk about that later, but whether or not they will stick to a higher interest rate at this point, uh, because if they don't, the US dollar is higher. Um, you know, it's always about the interest rate differential in this market where we are right now. So we hope that they, we hope that they go to 75 basis points instead of 50 at this point, because otherwise our dollar will climb higher, given that the market thinks we're going to 75. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And, and the ECB is expected to go um, to up 75 basis points uh, on on Thursday. Uh, looking at the key issues this week, and we're going to just touch on these real briefly and get into each one or nearly each one uh, in the next several slides. But you know, earnings season continues. Let's let's actually touch a little bit deeper on earnings season on on this slide, Quincy. Um, You've got, uh, I know, on the top of your mind, some key reports coming up in the near term here that you think are going to be important for perhaps setting direction in terms of expectations of Federal Reserve policy, just setting direction in terms of what the market may be sniffing out in terms of that um, that potential of Federal Reserve policy change, et cetera. So, so what should we pay, be paying attention to in terms of our, uh, to in terms of our earnings calendar? Well, this week it is it is tech. It's big tech. Uh, together, they represent about twenty percent in weighted uh, uh, in the weight with the S and P five hundred. Apple, uh, Microsoft, Google, Alphabet, uh, Amazon. These are extremely important. And what we want to see is whether or not if they surprise to the upside. Because we're, again, what we're looking for is all the bad news in. Bad news for big tech is, you know, higher interest rates, right? It is a stronger dollar. Uh, it, for Google, for example, it's it's um, advertising. So for Apple, it is about whether or not they can maintain their margins and whether or not their sales are going to surprise to the upside. Because remember, there was a scare that the um, that the lower priced iPhone was not selling, uh, and we want to see if that changes is, is it does that pick up all of this is going to be important obviously microsoft with cloud is going to be important and even uh um, google uh with cloud is going to be important all of these will be crucial and we, we will see if it can if it's po positive surprises if the market holds we had an issue with netflix i you know before the fed was raising rates and whenever there were issues with technology the market would wait for Netflix, you know, after the bell, always before the other big tech names. And if Netflix did well, if there was a positive surprise, it would tend to help underpin the market and underpin big tech until their turn came in the um, in the earnings season. Not this time. This time around, it, it didn't help. Netflix did well, but it didn't help the rest of the market. We think that big tech, all of the, these names could help underpin the market, because what it would suggest is that the market is sniffing out the tail end of the aggressive trajectory of the Federal Reserve. Therefore, that rates 
start to come down. The enemy for big tech, by the way, as you know, is higher interest rates. Yeah, um, well said. I, and, and as we look through these other bullet pointed items, we'll, we'll probably leave the UK prime minister for another session of market signals. That's probably a longer conversation. Uh, yeah. So we'll leave that for the next go round. We're going to um, manufacturing services composite activity. We, we did look at the look at that earlier in the call and, and things are in fact slowing. You, you touched on something interesting to me, uh, Quincy, yesterday in the strategic and tactical asset allocation committee meeting about election expectations and, and some of the activity that you're seeing across industries and sectors and and how the the market may be you know sniffing out some some election results perhaps I mean any any comment around that I mean would you basically kind of want to re rehash what we talked about what you discussed yesterday in front of the committee well, yeah, I mean, it, it, that was yesterday. This is today because it's it's so close in so many um, in, in so many of the um, tight you know very tight uh, um, elections. But that is that the market seems to be sniffing out a Republican sweep. Um, this is important. You know, it's not going to be the be all and end all, but it's important because what what it suggests is that the some of the programs from the Democrats will not get through. Uh, some that some that the market just don't want, you know, doesn't want to see. But also on a positive note, it will certainly help underpin even more the energy sector uh, and it will help underpin, I think, the industrial sector, especially with defense. It doesn't mean that the Democrats are going to say, well, we're not going to spend on, on defense. But the point is, the Republicans will probably go more. Now, I do want to point something out. If it is gridlock, in other words, the Democrats keep the Senate, the Republicans keep um, or, or have the House, um, gridlock is fine for the market. The market actually doesn't mind gridlock at all. But there is one thing I do want to point out in terms of defense, and that is uh, Republicans are now suggesting that for Ukraine, aid may be um, pulling back, not as generous as under the Biden administration. What that could possibly do, at least initially, is hit the defense names. Uh, you know, many of the analysts are saying that if that were to happen, it would still be a buying opportunity because budgets are up all over the world, not just because of Russia and NATO, but also because of China and China's aggressive spending on, on uh, with their military budget. Yeah, I mean, and you raise an interesting point just on on energy and, and kind of what the, the the machinations are between the Democrats and the Republicans on that space. I mean, we took a look. Energy has been up about seven percent over the last week, um, so that speaks to perhaps what the market is is telling you in terms of uh, election expectations. In in a, in a in an oil price environment, it's been it's bounced a little bit, but it hasn't been dramatic. So it's kind of it would be unusual for energy to pop up, although earnings have have indeed been you know coming in fairly fairly well. Um, I want to want to turn a little bit to to China, Quincy. I know again we've talked about this and what may or may not happen as a result of of the Congress, you know, last week. So. Um, you know, Xi certainly kind of uh, swung his sword around and and you know got another uh, term, and it was basically 
expected, I think. I'm going to let you you tell us whether that was expected or not completely. But um, uh, as you look at the situation, did did last week in China meet your expectations? And and what do you think this means for the market, or how how should market participants digest what happened last week? Well, you know, it, it's interesting because he, he he there was she sort of disappeared. It was like, where is she? Where is she? Just before the uh, the meeting, um, but it, it it began to be clear that he was going to um, have the third term. There would not be remember, and remember why he he's the one who got rid of term limits uh, precisely because he wanted a third term, and it looked as if he was going to consolidate his power with his people moving into senior spots. Now they did, and he is, how, how do we say, but he has made it very clear he is the core of the Politburo. He is the core of, of, of activity in China. So everyone is calling it, you know, a Mao Zedong uh, reincarnation. He even has something along the lines of his speeches and his writings, um, you know, that, that comes straight out of, out of Mao. But nonetheless, if the market had believed that the economy was going to be the number one priority, and let's remember, China's economy is lagging. Uh, they have a, a debt-laden um, real estate market, but the zero COVID, the zero COVID uh, policy, stringent, locking down entire communities, 22 million people at a time, you know, um, has has added to it. I mean, no activity whatsoever. I mean, and China is also a major uh, supplier to the to the globe. So, if the market had believed that that was going to be lifted, you would see commodity prices. I think coming out of that meeting, climbing higher, but they didn't. They did not, because. He said, look, we, we want to modernize the economy. Certainly we do, but we're, not, we're gonna make sure that in essence, we're not going to create billionaires. This is a big focus for him, that it's redistributed, that the middle class can do well, uh, but we're not going to have, he doesn't want the cult, by the way, the cult around the billionaires. You noticed uh, um, Ma, Jack, well, where, where is he? You don't see him anymore, Alibaba, he went away. Remember, he went away because there was a cult following. He, she does not want that. So the other part is about, do they ease the restrictions? And then there was a rumor that they were going to ease the restrictions regarding the quarantine for visitors. It's a very long quarantine, that they would cut the amount of time you have to be in, um, in quarantine. What that did was it led to the market extrapolating from there and saying, well, this must mean that they're going to ease the restrictions on uh, testing and lockdowns, not so fast. And you know, you'll hear folks say now, well, maybe he has to wait. Maybe he's gonna, he, he sees this as his personal ideology in terms of getting rid of COVID, not just, not just helping people live with COVID, but getting rid of COVID. Now, either he changes that, there'll be a meeting in December, we'll see if they ease the restrictions, but so far, no one is expecting it right away at, at all. So that's one thing, and that then keeps the economy 
you know, sort of weak. In addition to the uh, laden, um, debt-laden real estate market, whoa, this is a big one. It is a big one because that market is about quarter, some people even say a half of their GDP. The GDP in China is about $18 trillion, maybe now $19 trillion. So even if it's a quarter of that, that's a big chunk. The question really is, does the government bail out the um, developers who are, you know, just debt laden, who have defaulted? And by the way, where there's US dollar denominated debt that's out there, by the way, with foreign, uh, foreign investors. Most likely what we're going to see is something that has caused she heartache and trouble, potential trouble. And that is that many of the people who bought condos and houses, however you want to call it, in China do so before they are actually completed. Well, guess what? And they have to pay the mortgage, by the way. These, these properties have not been completed. And folks are going nuts on the internet, mm -hmm, on the internet. Uh, well, like, where's, where's our property? What do we, why, why should we pay? Maybe we'll stop paying. And there's a movement to stop paying. She made it very clear that they are going to fix this and maybe not so much in the, in the plenum, but he has talked about it. They are going to fix it and they are going to force the property owners, perhaps via a fund, a public fund, and lowering rates and giving them access. They, they, they can't really get private funding anymore, but through a public fund where they go in and fix these uh, condos, get, get them finished. This is going to be a priority. And why is it going to be a priority? Because President Xi and also the Chinese authorities do not want any trouble. They don't want demonstrations. They don't want this to lead to something that you're seeing, for example, in Iran. That is something that is verboten in China ever since Tiananmen Square. And that said, the other issue for China is, for investors, is regulation. The expectations are that the regulatory framework is going to really be very strict. And that's why you saw the sell-off. The sell-off was dramatic, particularly in the internet stocks. That's gonna, that's gonna yeah. shut down. You, you see the banners going up. Do you see the signs that are being written in the bathrooms in China? You know why the bathrooms? Because there is an assumption that at least in the public bathrooms, there is no surveillance. China is ruled by surveillance cameras everywhere. And so this is it. This, the Yuan, offshore Yuan is plunging as we speak investors want out until there's clarity and we have to wait to see uh we have to see if things change for the better yeah quincy i mean that's a great point i mean i you you just kind of broadly almost in summary that you know if, if you're an asset allocator um uh xi jinping's tight, tighter grip on china has not been a good thing uh, for for China's equity market has it has not been a good thing for emerging markets broadly, uh, and some of the issues that you mentioned fundamentally, debt problems, tighter regulation, uh, things of that nature, is certainly no longer moving in the direction of a westernized economy. Have all been problematic for asset allocators in emerging markets in China in particular, and, and we. As a committee, believe that will continue to be a to be a problem, and, and some of the issues that you raised are 
are certainly central to some of that. Um, I want to I want to also turn attention here and, and let's let's kind of cover this if you don't mind in 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 really kind of two parts. We'll look at the U.S. Treasury yield. We also look at the dollar. Both of Gain have kind of gone parabolic. Again, the U.S. Treasury yield and the dollar. Um, we talked yesterday in the Asset Allocation Committee how this is likely going to have to be addressed by policymakers, both monetary policymakers and, and fiscal policymakers as well. Um, so, so, Quincy, talk to us about you know, some of the illiquidity in the treasury market, some of the, the parabolic nature move of the movement in the dollar and, and what we think central bankers are perhaps going to do about it and what that may mean for future interest rates. Well, that's a lot. Um, so what we've seen is if you look at it, and here's the interesting, we have a virtually synchronized global central bank rate hike campaign, except for the second and third largest economies in the world, China and Japan, for different reasons. Japan is seeing its yen almost collapse. They have done some interventions. And, and, and let me just, the reason if you're following it is they follow a strategy called yield curve control. This requires the Central Bank of Japan to buy bonds to push down their 10-year yield. They believe that by pushing down their 10-year yield, and it's in a very, very tight range, that they can help induce inflation. Remember, Japan has gone through a terrible deflationary period ever since the economy collapsed, the markets collapsed decades ago now. However, inflation has been rising. It's above 2%, which is where they wanted it, but still, the head of the Bank of Japan insists on the yield curve control. You can't have a currency rise on its own if you have your central bank pushing down your 10-year yield. It just doesn't work. So you've had the authorities, the Ministry of Finance, go in and try to do an intervention. They have not worked. The, 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 the Japanese yen continues to come down. And here's the problem, I, we can't get into it, but there's something called the carry trade. I go in and borrow where the cheapest currency is, Japanese yen, and then I go out around the rest of the world and I make a lot of money. I'm a speculator, I make a ton of money that way. And then I go back and pay it back in Japanese yen, which is cheap. It has been a buffet for speculators, which is something they do not want. So in any event, I think the reason they had this intervention, which by the way, they did not announce officially afterwards, but we know that it happened. And also the Bank of Japan at the same time is buying bonds for their yield curve control. So that's a whole other issue for scholars to um, discuss. But in any case, the yen is back down. The, they need to have Caruto uh, say, at least rhetorically, well, we will discuss, you know, the future of yield curve control now that we have inflation above 2%. Even that would help, never mind an adjustment somewhere with the yield curve control, but he's pretty adamant that that is not going to happen. So in any event, why did they choose just recently to do it? How about that the dollar weakened? Thank you, Wall Street Journal article. Because if you have a 
sense that the Fed is going to be becoming less hawkish, not more dovish, but less hawkish, that we're transitioning to that, your currency is going to weaken. So I think they took advantage of that because you saw on Friday that yields inched down a bit, not, not dramatically, but inched down, but so did the uh, US dollar. Actually, we're back with a stronger dollar right now, but in any case, so you have that. China, China does what China does. Uh, their currency is weak. You know, you could argue that Japan, you know, is a major exporter. A weaker currency does help them. And same thing with China. The only problem is that demand is down. So it's not as if your weaker currency is going to help dramatically because on the other side of that equation is weaker demand. But nonetheless, the yuan, uh, especially the offshore yuan, has been battered. Investors want out. They want out. They don't want to be there. And, and more and more, um, central banks, again, you know, have to deal with the stronger dollar. Emerging markets is an old, old story. When do emerging markets emerge? When do they finally have love from investors? Because, you know, when they're good, they're really, really good. When they're bad, boy, are they nasty. So here you have a situation in which commodities are more expensive because of the stronger dollar. Uh, oil is more expensive for those that import oil. You also have dollar-denominated debt. In the dollar strong, it, help, it hurts them paying and servicing that debt. It's a vicious cycle. And you know you could look at Latin America. They've done well with the stronger dollar, even though it could hurt them, but there's demand for their products. It is a difficult, difficult thing. You mentioned China. How about this? On the institutional side, uh, Mark, more and more portfolio managers are creating emerging market portfolios, ex-China, ex-China. If you want China, we'll do a China one, but ex-China, because they don't want the contamination, and not in the bad sense, in the, in the financial sense, of anything going wrong. How about Taiwan? How about, we heard what, uh, we heard what um, she had to say. It was pretty direct. It was so direct that there was a response from the US. And he basically made it sound as if, you know, our uh, calendar on Taiwan has just gotten a little bit closer, right? That's what he said. And he said, basically, they do it the nice way or they do it the more difficult way. That's what he said. And he said, it is about uh, the unification that is necessary, the unification that is in our, kind of in our worldview of things. So that is something that, that's very difficult. So the point I make that in, institutionally, folks are saying, look, if that starts to happen, we don't want to, we don't want to be invested in emerging markets that 35 to 40% is China. Because obviously if something like that happens, it, it, you're, just, you're just in a terrible situation. So more yeah. and more, that's uh, what we're seeing. Yeah, that, it, 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 there are quite a few um, moving parts in the world. Big yes. parts. Um, Ukraine policy is one of them. China, China, Taiwan policy is certainly another. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the rising dollar, you can rest assured, that's been a point of conversation as central bankers talk to each other across the world because they do discuss mm -hmm. policy and and the and the workings of the Federal Reserve have have made things more difficult from a dollar perspective across the globe, right? So um, it, it's a it, it's complicated. It, so let me 
Let me ask you this, Quincy, in terms of the way Janet Yellen thinks of it in the Treasury, uh, the way the way Jerome Powell thinks of it at the Fed, um, what do you think the likely action or potential action could come from in terms of the, any Treasury policy or any Federal Reserve policy that may emerge as a result of the illiquidity in, in the Treasury market and the rise in the dollar? Are we expecting anything from uh, yes. either, either group of policymakers? Yes, certainly, Janet Yellen. Um, remember how this all happened. Believe it or not, it was uh, because of the great financial crisis. And none other than Paul Volcker was involved with this and what, what the banks could do and not do. And so uh, I think that there's more liquidity is going to be provided. Uh, she's working on it, they know it. And remember, in, what was it, September of 2019, we had a problem in the repo market that scared the daylights out of the overall market because everything just sort of froze up. Uh, you, the Fed does not want to see this happen again, uh, nor does Janet Yellen. So I, th I, I think that they are working on it. I think you're going to see much more liquidity coming into the market so that the market can function properly and that there's no fear of liquidity drying up. Yeah, I mean, good point. And, and when you when you see, you know, the 10 year Treasury yield moving by 10, 15, 20 basis points in the day, that's that's typically not normal. And, and we expect um, policymakers to to take action. Um, so let me let me say this, Quincy, I appreciate you joining us today on, on Market Signals. Always a pleasure mm -hmm. having you. Um, thanks for your insight on China, the dollar, Federal Reserve policy, et, et, et cetera. It's, it certainly has been helpful for our listeners here at Market Signals. Um, I want to thank the audience for, for joining us uh, today, and we'll talk to you next week. This material was provided by LPL Financial, is for general information only, and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, please note LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker-dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency, not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposit or obligations, and may lose value.